Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business Show. I have been really enjoying a series I've been doing with David Walker, who's a former Comptroller General of the United States, and it's such an important position that he held. It's something that uh, uh, is overseas economic and financial, really financial accountability for the federal government. And it's one of these interesting positions because we don't hear about it as much, but its role is so important. And uh, David, always glad to have you on the program. Talk a little bit about that experience and talk a little bit about what you're involved in now, which is a lot. (laughs) Well, yeah, it is. Uh, I'm keeping very busy. It's good to be back with you. Well, you know, as you know, the Comptroller General of the United States in English is Auditor General, Chief Accountability Officer of the United States, and CEO of the U.S. Government Accountability Office, which is a, you know, basically a diversified professional services firm that just happens to be a wholly owned subsidiary of the federal government in the legislative branch. And its job is to try to help improve performance and ensure accountability of the federal government for the benefit of the American people. Uh, and uh, it is an important job. And, and I was pleased, pleased and proud to have had the opportunity and the honor to, to do that. I'm involved in a lot of things right now. I continue the fight. I'm, I mean, one of my nicknames is the Paul Revere of fiscal responsibility. Uh, uh, and I continue to fight on multiple fronts uh, to try to get them to cut spending from the bro- bloated levels of 2023, to get them to pass a fiscal uh, sustainability commission, uh, and, and to get and to gain the adoption of a constitutional amendment that will limit the growth of government and how much debt is percentage of the economy we can take on. And the good news is, is that we're making some progress, although we need to we need to speed it up because uh, we're on an imprudent and unsustainable path, and bad things are going to happen in the future if we don't end up changing course. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I, I've done some research on your work as the uh, controller, and uh, historically, I get the sense from reading about others, it was almost primarily a bean counting job, uh, and you really took it to a different level. You saw the depth and breadth of capability of what you could do in terms of educating and uh, informing people, and you did just that. I think you really maximized a position that I think had been underutilized before you got there. So props to you on that. Well, thank you. I, I did transform the agency. There's no question about that and was much more proactive and much more visible uh, than historically had been the case. Uh, you know, and one of the reasons I did that is because when I came in, the agency had been downsized 40% in the five years before I got there. It had a five-year hiring freeze. And what the staff didn't know was that it was going to be downsized another 25 to 40% unless I turned it around. And I'm a big believer in practicing what you preach and lead by example. So we engaged in an effort to dramatically transform that agency uh, to make it uh, smaller uh, and more results-oriented. And and by the end of my term, it was 13% smaller, a third less offices, eliminated a layer of management, uh, increased productivity over double, increased return on investment over triple, uh, second best place to work in the federal government and rated 95% by positive by the probably the toughest client on the face of the earth called the U.S. Congress. So uh, I'm pleased with what we're able to accomplish and, uh, you know, and happy to continue the fight in a different, uh, in a different role. Yeah, absolutely. So as you know, I'm very pessimistic. That, I think one of the reasons why I have you on is, uh, you know, to, to, to let me see that there might be a light at the end of the tunnel that is <laughs> not, not a train. A, 
that is not a train. <laughs> exactly. And so, uh, and so I like to have you on. And I was going to go down a, a very familiar path that 80% of all talk shows are doing right now, which is the fact that we once again are playing with financial disaster as House Republicans don't seem capable of figuring out how to do it. Uh, you know, anything other than a continuing resolution, and all of a sudden that's become very hard. Uh, been repeatedly embarrassed by letting us get on the brink of that kind of ruin, our credit rating getting hit negatively every single time, but they still continue to play that game. But everyone else is doing that too. I'd like to go with your statement that you said here in the opening about things happening that you're optimistic about. What a, what a great novel idea. Let's talk about some good stuff you're saying. Set the stage for us. Well, I mentioned the three things that I think need to be done, and the fact is is that if they don't end up reaching an agreement uh, on the budget, uh, then by the end of April there will have, uh, have to be cuts, uh, across-the-board cuts that were part of the Fiscal Responsibility Act of uh, last summer. Uh, and... Uh, you know, I, I hope that they do reach an agreement, and I hope that we can avoid a shutdown. I'm cautiously optimistic that we will, but we could end up having a year-long CR in which those cuts will come into place. The, the second thing that uh, that I'm, ha- I'm pleased about is, you know, the House has passed a fiscal – pardon me – the House Budget Committee has passed out a Fiscal Commission Act. It's bipartisan. Uh, it would engage the American people with the facts, the truth, the tough choices – Everything's on the table, but not everything's equal. And if they can get a simple majority vote out of that commission, it can be guaranteed an up or down vote in Congress to be able to uh, start putting our finances in order. And it's going to take something like that. And then secondly, I've been fighting for a constitutional amendment that will limit the size of the growth of government and how much debt we can take on. Uh, We now have two states that are willing to sue the Congress for the Congress's failure to, uh, to discharge its constitutional responsibility under Article 5 to call a convention to propose such an amendment. We're looking to get two more, and after that happens, stay tuned. It would be a huge, unprecedented action uh, that uh, would be a major wake-up call for the Congress of the United States. Yeah, yeah. Um, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, your your sense. And, and first of all, you mentioned a a bill passed last summer that does put financial restraints and automatic action taking place if Congress doesn't act on its own. Talk a little bit about that, because frankly it has not been discussed very much. But it hasn't, because the whole idea was they wanted to try to avoid that. But, you know, as you know, the Congress has had to, um, you know, do CRs for all but four years uh, since 1951. Uh, And sometimes they've had to do multiple CRs, which is the case this year. Uh, and, you know, when, when that act was passed last summer, um, you know, people were hoping that they wouldn't, you know, they they wouldn't uh, have to continue to do CRs and that they would be able to come to some agreement. But so far they haven't. Um, but ultimately, you know, th- that's a Band-Aid. I mean, what, what we have to recognize is uh, we're going to have to reform social insurance programs to make them solvent, sustainable, secure. We're going to have to reprioritize discretionary spending and reduce projected spending on the discretionary side, including for defense. And we can do that without compromising national security. I'm on the defense business board. There's plenty of opportunities to do that. Uh, in addition to that, you know, we're going to have to engage in comprehensive tax reform that generates more revenues as a percentage of GDP. We're going to have to do all of that in addition to pursuing approaches that will increase economic growth. You know, regulatory reform, uh, you know, uh, devolution back to the states, 
uh, in appropriate circumstances. Um, and so all of those are heavy lifting, and all of those are not going to get done in the regular order in a piecemeal fashion. That's why we need this statutory commission. Yeah, yeah. Now, there's been several of these. I, I got the chance to meet J. Peter Grace, uh, who uh, set up yeah. the Grace Commission, uh, was actually involved uh, at a certain level on that, uh, both in a communication-type role and a coalition-type role. Uh, it's not the first, you know, where, where this kind of effort's been made. It's a pretty long history of those not really getting much traction, certainly from a long-term perspective. Now, J. Peter Grace's uh, work uh, has been phenomenal from a, you know, almost a, a policy wonk academic perspective. Difficult to show where it really made a difference, though. Well, well let's talk about that for a second, you know, and learn lessons from the past. Uh, on the, there's the policy side and there's the operation side. On the policy side, you're talking about things like tax reform, social insurance reform, you know, uh, reprioritizing, reducing discretionary spending uh, in an intelligent and sustainable manner. You know, that's what the Simpson-Bowles Commission was supposed to do. But the Simpson-Bowles Commission was not statutory. And so, therefore, you didn't get guaranteed buy-in by the Congress and the president up front. Secondly, you didn't do any citizen education engagement, which is the key to success. Thirdly, it had a ridiculous threshold to get its recommendations considered, 75%, uh, if you will. Uh, and so for a variety of reasons, it was not successful, even though they did good work. And let's talk about GRACE. The GRACE Commission was not statutory either. It was created by President Reagan. He, he gave me my first presidential appointment, uh, and it did very good work. But it was there was not a buy-in from the Congress and the president up front. They had no guarantees that their recommendations would even be considered. So we need really two things now. We need uh, we need the statutory fiscal sustainability commission, and in the House it's it's called uh, you know the fiscal fiscal commission act, uh, and, and we need a grace commission on steroids that is statutory, that is statutory that will relook at what is the government doing, how is the government doing it, how does it measure success to rebaseline the government because the government is a Bloated bureaucracy, you know, it's it's you know it's promised too much, subsidized too many, uh, and um, you know it's too focused on uh, on resources rather than results. Yeah, and so again, I'm, again, you know me, I'm very frustrated. I work in, in similar places, certainly not in roles as as important as yours, but uh, you know, I think of uh, you know, you know where I'm going to go when I when I mention. Uh, you know, the, the, the Grant, Grant Hollings uh, Balanced Budget Act of 1987. You know where I'm, I mean, the Graham Rudman, rather, uh, Act right. of 1987, which was, was binding. And you saw what we got, for, what, what, one balanced budget from 1987, one, similar to the 1990s? I think that's all we yeah, got. Well, we that. got we we had four years where we, where we had uh, surpluses and two years that we paid down debt, but those were... Uh, you know, those were the, uh, you know, 1998, 1999, 2000, and 2001. But those days are over. I mean, now, yeah. now we've got $1.7 trillion plus projected deficits going in the future. And by the way, they're based on unrealistic assumptions. They assume that all of the, uh, the Trump-era tax cuts will, uh, will expire. They assume that the fiscal deal that was done for the – for the uh, fiscal uh, 
uh, act that was done, Fiscal Responsibility Act that was done last summer will continue past its statutory expiration date. So, you know, look, I mean, we're, we're out of control, and uh, everybody in Washington knows it. The problem is the biggest deficit this country has is a leadership deficit. Yeah, and I think it's a bipartisan deficit. <laughs> Absolutely true. There is not a party. I don't see anything in Donald Trump who, I, I, Donald Trump who loved beating up Barack Obama's deficits, who said, "No, that's not how you do deficits. Let me show you deficits." I mean, there's there's nothing on either side. You know, you've got uh, you've got Biden. You know, in my opinion, trying to take a transactional approach. Of uh, buying votes with the uh, student loan uh, situation. It's phenomenal. Uh, so much for the Democratic Party being a party for average and poor Americans, many of whom can't even entertain going to college or are going to flip the bill for these people who did go for college and knew what they were getting into. I mean, it is so transparent on both sides, where uh, both sides, they just have different constituents, right? are totally transactional yeah, yeah. now when it comes to elections, in my opinion. Let, let's talk about student loans for a second. The largest single asset on the balance sheet of the U.S. federal government is student loans. And the president wants to give away some of the largest asset that we have on the balance sheet, which is irresponsible, inequitable, and potentially unconstitutional. Look, I'm all for giving student loan relief by providing a cap on what the interest rates ought to be. In addition to that, I'm all for giving student loan, loan relief if somebody generates public service in exchange for that relief. But the idea of just, you know, forgiving loans, which are an asset of the U.S. government, without any exchange on the other side is absurd. Uh, and uh, just another example of attempts to try to to, to cater to the public, especially the young people, and to buy votes with other buy people's votes. money. That's all mm -hmm. it's all. It's about an attempt to buy votes with other people's money. Yeah, and by the way, our all-voluntary army, you know this, our entire all-voluntary army exists because of things like the GI Bill. You know, and all of a sudden, you know, you're getting a situation where Build, you know, your debt, your college debt can be forgiven. You begin to rethink about moral hazard or hazard and the lack of. You know, you're ending up torpedoing something that has been incredibly successful, in my opinion. Unless America wants to make a cognitive choice of going back to the draft, I, I think a lot of our foreign escapades, uh, it, it almost seems like that's the direction we're going. Uh, but well, there's so many ripple effects to the student loan uh, situation, well, that being an example. Well, I agree. And, and my personal view is is the all-volunteer force is not sustainable, uh, that the effort the president's taking now is going to make it even less sustainable. Uh, I personally believe that we ought to have mandatory public service, of which the military would be an option, but other forms of service should be considered as well. You know, we need something to bind people together, you know, for, for the interest of the country as a whole rather than their individual interest. Uh, the other thing that we've got to look at is, you know, the compensation structure, quite frankly, for the military is not in line with reality. You know, in the private sector, the, the, the biggest part of compensation is cash, current compensation. The second is current benefits. 
The third is deferred benefits. For the military, the most costly is the deferred benefits. The second most costly is current benefits, and the least costly is current cash. Well, people nowadays want cash, <laughs> and, yes. and, and so we've got we, we've got a situation where we're just not we're not structured properly. Same thing with regard to how we evaluate performance for government. You know, I mean, massive grade inflation. Um, you know, not focused on results, focusing on activities. So there's a huge opportunity to make a major transformation, and you know, uh, and, and that's what I'm dedicated to: uh, to truth, transparency, and transformation. Well, we're running out of time. Very important topics here, and you know, I, I, I do always, you know, I, I go after these th things with you, not towards you, but with you, and you usually join me. Uh, we're, we're mutually disgusted. Um, you know, uh, but in the end, I'm very grateful that there's someone like yourself who's taking this kind of interest and, frankly, offers optimism because a lot, often my view is uh, uh, almost realistic. I mean, we're, it, it seems fairly hopeless at times. But the truth is, is that we have a history in this country of having times like this and figuring out how to navigate them. And, uh, you know, we need people like you who are willing to forge ahead, who are willing to talk about ways that that can be done and make them real, real world and, and practicable. And I think uh, you do that. And so I appreciate your effort. I appreciate you being part of the education effort uh, that I'm afraid Congress has completely neglected and the federal government has neglected. Uh, you champion that. And always love having you on. Final thoughts. And give us a just yeah. one website where people can get more information about uh, things you're involved in, because, again, you're involved in so much. Well, first, let me mention two things that people need to stay tuned to. You know, there's a bipartisan Defending Borders and Defending Democracy Act that the Problem Solvers Caucus in the House is behind. Uh, you know, I've endorsed that. It's a reasoned, reasonable way to deal with our border and also uh, helping our allies who are find themselves in conflict now or pending conflict. Uh, but I've also recommended that they add uh, the Fiscal Commission Act to it since this is not paid for and we got to quit digging the hole. Uh, you know, the other thing is I have an updated version of my latest book coming out next month, America in 2040, still a superpower question mark. Uh, it is up to date uh, and it, it it's a wake up call, a call to action and a way forward. It has a range of uh, solutions in it that have been uh, supported by 77 to 97% of representative groups of voters. Uh, you know, it's one of the things I'm involved with is the Federal Fiscal Sustainability Founda Foundation. You can find out more about that at lettusvoteforfra.org. Uh, and so I would encourage you to take a look at that because the only thing that's going to put our finances in order in a sustainable fashion over time is a constitutional amendment. David Walker, always love having you on the program, and I officially begin looking forward to your next visit. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. I am Kevin Price. This is The Price of Business. Stay tuned for more after this.